2: Warm brother. Low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Costco Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Pierce, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you, and we're going to be keeping this one a little bit shorter, just because it's Christmas Eve. We've got no college basketball games today. I'm sure that many of you guys, much like myself. Going to be watching some quality NFL, but we don't have any college basketball games today. And rather than try to give you some filler segment at the end of this show looking at futures or something like that... We're going to take that time to spend it with friends, family, loved ones, what have you. Hopefully, you guys do the same. So, we're just going to have a two-part show here. Going to, in the first segment, recap what we've seen the last 24 hours of college basketball, take a look at the late Thursday, early Friday games, all of those results, and then we're going to be chatting with Evan Miyakawa as well. In segment number two, Evan, he does a terrific job as one of the just most premier statisticians in all of college basketball, taking a look at what we've been getting this year. We're going to ask him who he has as his number one team, what we've been able to make out of UConn, and how he's been taking a look at some of the keys to respective games, some of the things that he's adding to be able to evaluate teams. On top of that, something that he does a really good job of is going beyond the stat sheet to take a look at guys that have made a massive impact on their team that might not be averaging like 20 points, 10 rebounds, what have you. So we're going to be asking about guys of impact and so much more with him in segment number or two and if you do have a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you, for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to find those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters, EM. Yeah. They mean, does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review. I know that I had a few questions with regards to just backdrops with stadiums, how perhaps specific rims, what have you, impacts the game. And I know that one of you guys shared with me a little bit of a study as to how a specific Spaulding basketball has a little bit of an impact. I have not taken a look at the basketball angle just because I think it's very dependent upon which two teams you have going out there. Because like a game involving Virginia might have various results as compared to games with like Coppin State, for example, so I do think that that is a very, very big key there. I've not looked into how the basketball itself can impact totals, but I certainly do think that there is something to some arenas having very, very friendly rims, like we see it every year in the Maui Invitational. Heck, the Diamond and Classic, I would say that they have some pretty friendly rims. I've been noticing some nice bounces and quite a few overs in this tournament. Meanwhile, the Battle for Atlantis every single year, if you don't get a swish with a way that those rims are they're like as hard as stones it just bounces right off so I do think that there is something to the equipment use and you see it every year in the NCAA tournament when you get into these cavernous environments and I know that just in talking to a lot of former players myself whether that be via interviews as I actually did a lot of interviews with current college basketball players back when I was in college and I've heard from most of them that, yeah, when I go out there and I'm playing in more of a cavernous arena, it affects me a little bit more than a gym where I know exactly where the basket is. There's like not a bunch of hands waving by the crowd, things of that nature. So I do think that the backdrop, it does have something to do with totals. And I do think that it is always something worth taking a look at. And you do want to take a look at some tendencies with regards to the arena, like the DK Nation pick that I gave out for Thursday, which did it, by the way. Very, very sad one on Friday with that compensate versus George Mason over, by the way. I'll just tell you about this in the recap right now. George Mason just completely hickory smokes Cobb and safe but Total misses by two points because he had 11 points in the final five minutes in a game in which George Mason scored 90-plus and were unable to get the over. That was just really sad, so... There was that in Compensate, their biggest clunker of the year. They had scored 67 plus points in each of their previous 12 games. They can't even get to 55 in this one. Yeah, I'm a little bit salty about that, but getting back to what I was talking about in terms of that UNLV game, I've noticed that UNLV just... They can't really shoot from three at home. Meanwhile, on the road, they're an okay three-point shooting team. They're not great. They're not terrible. But I've noticed that with them the last few years and their opponents, they are unable to get the three ball going as well. And it's not necessarily because of tenacious defense most of the time. This year, UNLV has been playing some absolutely terrific defense. I'll give credit where credit is due. But I take a look in the past and it's like, man, it feels like UNLV is just not a great shooting backdrop for a lot of these teams. I noticed in the Mountain West tournament because that is also at the top. Thomas and max Center, where UNLV plays, and it's like, man, you know what? Shooting percentages seem to drop very drastically at the Thomas and Max Center. Meanwhile, when UNLV hits the road, they stabilize a little bit more. So, I do think that there is something to that angle. It's a labor of love, so I think that. More than just taking a look at every single shot that has ever been taken in an arena because, man, you're going to be spending a lot of hours trying to find an angle that is going to help you out with your handicapping, but I don't think that the hours put in is going to be worth the return that you would get on your bets. Just sort of keep in mind, all right, when I watch this team play, are the shots going down a little bit more frequently than normal? Just take a look at perhaps some shooting stats from past years as well because, a lot of sites like team rankings will list a team's three-point shooting percentage at home versus on the road, and the teams that they shoot better on the road as opposed to at home, those are probably the teams you want to highlight the most because that indicates places in which the rims might not be so friendly. So hopefully that's a nice little piece of advice for you, and let's take a look at everything that we've gotten the last 24 or so hours in college basketball, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy rim. Recap. Creighton looked very good with Ryan Kalkbrenner in the fold. They take down Butler by kind of 78 to 56 for Creighton. They go 8 of 16 from three-point range. The aforementioned Kalkbrenner, 19 points, four boards, pair of blocks, and... You were able to have Frederick King coming off the bench for 9 points and a pair of blocks as well. Butler just 2 of 12 from 3. They really didn't turn the ball over a lot, but Butler lost a rebound battle 37-19. So that was a very good performance from Crane. They lost a turnover battle, but being able to win that battle on the glass, that was more than enough for them. I mentioned that UNLV versus... Southern Miss game, we were able to get the under there, unfortunately, to the DK Nation streak, that came to an end at five. I already went through that George Mason game. We're not going to relive that, but 74 to 63, the final end for Southern Miss. They went two of 19 from three. UNLV went eight of 24 from three, so a sizzler from the outside for both of these teams, and for Southern Miss, 25, count them, 25. Turnovers in this game as for Southern Miss, they actually won the battle on the glass 46 to 39, but they were unable to get anything to fall. DeAndre Pinkney tried to keep the team in it 23 points, 13 rebounds, but for UNLV, you had EJ Harkless and Luis Rodriguez combined for 37 points and 14 rebounds. So they were able to do a great job on that front. Hawaii was able to take down Pepperdine on Thursday night in the Diamond at Classic 76-70 in a game that got very heated late. I was on air doing the Greg Peterson experience while this one wrapped up and for Pepperdine. They went just 4 of 15 from 3. Meanwhile, Hawaii went 9 of 20. Pepperdine got down early. They couldn't bury shots until late and they lost the rebound battle by a count 39-23. You had a double-double 11 points, and rebounds out of Sumat Avea that was able to help out Hawaii and to make up uh, bumps in their 19 though I will say Maxwell Lewis has been very solid for Pepperdine 23.7 boards if Pepperdine gets their shots a fall who knows what happens there Loyal Chicago just continues what has been a sad and pathetic year for the Atlantic 10. 75-62. to 62. Stanford gets the win. They get the cover. As for Stanford, Harrison Ingram. 15 points, 5 rebounds. Solid performance out of him. You had coming in off the bench, 12 points from Michael Jones. And for Loyal Chicago, just 12 turnovers. That's not too bad for them, but they lose the battle on the glass. 36-29. 7 23 from three point range as Marquise Kennedy goes for 14 points. Goes 4 of 7 from three, and the rest of the team they went 3 of 17 from distance. Portland State they go on the road. They take down Cal Baptist as Cal Baptist was a touchdown favorite. My count is 74 to 72, so a nice win for them. Cameron Parker was able to give them 14 points in that one. And then you had also in the Time of Diet Classic, Washington State barely get by George Washington. 64-66 to 66 was the final in that one. As for Washington State, I believe that they had in this game a travel of which they were celebrating their win, which gave George Mason a final look. They followed in the closing seconds just to be able to get a very lucky three with three seconds remaining. I mean, this was just a calamity of an ending, but Washington State was able to get there on Thursday and then also getting there on Thursday. Man, oh man, Missouri really took it to Illinois, 93 to 71. The final as Illinois could not get anything going in this game. And Kobe Brown, 31 points for Missouri, goes 10 of 15 from the floor. Missouri 10 of 20 from three. Illinois 7 to 31, and Missouri won the turnover battle, 17 to 10. Also of note, San Francisco, they took down Hartford by a count of 85 to 53. This Hartford team has been just a total fade as for San Francisco on a back to back. They went 12 of 30 from three with a five of six three point shooting performance out of Isaiah Hawthorne. He was able to give the team 20 points and for Hartford, they went 17 of 18 at the free throw line, but they also lost the rebound battle by a count of 36 to 22. Just not great there. And then from Friday in the Diamond Classic to lead things off, you had Iona take down Seattle by a count of 83 to 72 in a game where if you had the under like me, you were feeling very good about it in the first half. And then the second half, a nice quality 97 burger. As for Iona, they go just 5 of 20 from three point range. Seattle 6 of 24, but the fouls. They wrapped up. Seattle went 32 of 45 at the free throw line, and Iona 22 of 27 at the charity stripe. They combined 51 fouls in this game. Cam Tyson, 27 points for Seattle. Meanwhile, for Iona, even with Barrick Jean Louis on the fold, they were able to get it done because Nellie Jr. Joseph, pair of seals, pair of blocks, 26 points, seven rebounds. He stepped up in a big way for Iona in this one. You had Kennesaw State. Goals. They got a cover against Indiana. This by kinda sixty nine to fifty five for Kennesaw State. Uh their eight made field goals, ten were from distance as they go ten to twenty five from three point range. Indiana playing without Trace Jackson Davis. Still did a solid job down the as Race Thompson only had four points in this game, but 14 rebounds for Indiana without Trace Jackson Davis in the fold. They won the rebound battle by a count of 40 to 28. They don't cover this game, though, because they just shot 16 of 26 at the free throw line. That was a big key for them as for Kennesaw State as well. Just eight turnovers out of them as they had really only one player scoring double figures in this one, In Kassan Jennings was able to give the team 11 points. If you like me, had the under in Bucknell versus Rutgers. This was sad. 18 Minutes in the final three, thirty-five to push that game over, eighty-five to fifty. The finalize. You have the good old walk on an Oscar Palmquist be able to get a three in the closing ninety seconds. Maybe able to get that game over. Boy, oh boy! But Cliff Amarui boy, was he good down low for Rutgers. Seventeen points, fourteen rebounds, six blocks. Rutgers overall goes just three of fifteen from three point range, but sixteen of eighteen at the free throw Meanwhile, for the bracket busting Bucknell Bison. Xander Rice, 13 points in this game, but they were just all out of sorts. Rutgers forced them into 15 turnovers, while Rutgers, they themselves had just three turnovers. SMU, they are able to get back-to-back big, giant wins as as the underdog in this one of a double-digit amount of points. And it's his second straight game in which they were at least a nine-point underdog, in which they won outright. They get it done by kind of 77 to 74. For Utah State, they went 10 of 36 from 3. A team that overall for the season going into this game, they were shooting 44%. From the outside for SMU, Zach Natal hit some very big shots in this game. Here and Sareek Phelps were able to combine for 32 points. Phelps also gave the team eight rebounds. And for Utah State, they won the battle on the glass, 40 to 29. They did lose a turnover battle though, 13 to five. As SMU. Did a great job taking care of the ball. That allowed them to be able to get this one to the window. Pepperdine was able to win and cover as a small favorite as well. They take down George Washington 81-70 to in a very high-scoring second half that was able to get you over the closing total by about a point, point and a half, as he had 86 points in the second half, as for George Washington, James Bishop... He showed out. He had 22 points, but for George Washington as well, they lose the rebound battle by a count of 40 to 26. Pepperdine lost the turnover battle by a count of 18 to 13, but they also had a double-double out of Javon Porter. 18 points, 14 rebounds. Meanwhile, you add out of Maxwell Lewis 22 points, 5 assists. They go, Pepperdine does as a whole, 8 of 24 from 3-point range, and for George Washington, 2 of 11 from 3-point range, and then this game, I'm just not able to give you a final on because I have to have this up by midnight Pacific time. It is currently just after 11, and we got about eight minutes remaining between Washington State and Hawaii. But as of right now, Hawaii in rock solid shape. They're currently leading by a count of 43 to 35 in a game that has featured Washington State shooting less than 32% from the floor and. Hawaii winning the turnover battle as I record this by kind count of 12 to 6. And if you're just taking a look at the trends that we're seeing in college basketball right now, we've seen a lot of overs in the last week. Overall for the season... Unders still have a very slight lead on overs. 1,009 unders to 1,002 overs. And the home underdogs just continue to be white out. 274, 220, and 7 against the spread overall for the season. And overall, underdogs hitting at 51.8%. But if you take a look at the last seven days, so this is pretty much the entirety of holiday week. Home underdogs 43 and 32 against the spread. That is over 57%. Meanwhile, we've seen nearly 53% of games go over the total the last seven days. 162 overs, 144 unders with that Hawaii game pending, and underdogs overall, they've been hitting at right around 52.8%. If you look at away underdogs, 119, 113, and 5 against the spread. So, that's what we're all seeing right now, and that's what we got in college basketball over the last 24 hours. Coming up next, gonna keep this to a two-part podcast just because, well, it is Christmas Eve and we don't have any games, but we've got to with our good friend Evan Miyakawa some of the things that he's doing taking a look at the analytics of college basketball some of the more impactful players that might not jump out on the stat sheet and who he currently has as his number one team that's up next right here on Coast Coast Hoops with myself Greg eves and now apart from of the Beeson Family Podcast
1: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world
2: For Gus Gus Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Spears, and now a part of the Beaston Family podcast. Always great to have this man on board as we've got Evan Miyakeu on the show. He does amazing work as one of the best sports statisticians that you're going to find out there. Obviously, he does most of his work on the college basketball front, but really a great mind when it comes to being able to take a look at sports analytics, a man that always is rolling out new features every single year to enhance the way that we take a look at the great game of college basketball. You've seen his work on places like the Athletic, ESPN, CBS Sports, list goes on and on, and we've got him aboard. Evan Miakau, who you're able to follow at Evan Mia. My nice name is spelled M I Y A on the back half of that for his Twitter handle. And Evan, always great to have you aboard. Thank you.
3: Glad to be here, Greg. Thank you for having me.
2: And Evan, it's great to have you aboard. Let's dive into just some of the things that have jumped out at you this season because we always make our preseason predictions. Some of them are going to be right. Some of them are going to be wrong. I'll raise my hand on some that have been wrong. I'm looking at you, the entire Atlantic 10. That has not necessarily been so terrific, but in terms of teams, perhaps a conference or two that has really been jumping out that has surprised you, whether that be to the positive or the negative, who really comes to mind for you?
3: Yeah, I think the place to start there is definitely UConn. I was just talking to someone who covers UConn and just talking about how Oh, well, all of their players have been. I just did a study recently this week looking at what players have improved the most from their preseason projection at my website. The top of that list is just littered with uh, UConn players, and that journalist basically said to me, "It seems like every single thing that could be best case scenario for UConn has been," and that's illustrated by the fact that they according to my team ratings are the most improved team from the preseason based on where they were projected to be I now have them fourth in the country but you could argue that they are you know first or second just in terms of how well they've been playing they've been really really good outside of that top group you know i like a team like West Virginia I think there is some PTSD for West Virginia fans from last year where they started out similarly strong they had high expectations and then just really dropped off once they got into big 12 play but so far this year i mean they've improved 40 to 50 spots in my team ratings, you know, kind of maybe counter to what Bob Huggins has done in previous years. They've brought in a lot of transfers and four of their five most impactful players at my website are all transfers, um, which is really awesome that they've been able to bring those in. And really, you look at those guys, they are all you know, juniors and seniors. They have lots of experience. So you know, when you're going into the portal, you're bringing pieces that you don't know how they're going to mesh together, that maturity really helps. And I think that has worked well for West Virginia. And then if I had to pick a third team, maybe that would be you know, New Mexico. Really surprising start for them. They've been great to start the season. So those are a couple of my teams that I've been surprised by in a really good way to start the season.
2: And I do think that the battle for the top team in all of college basketball right now does go to UConn. We are our big three coming into the year in terms of Houston, Gonzaga, and North Carolina that most people as their number one in. Right now, only Houston has been able to live up to that building, and Houston, I still think is a top three team. If I were to rank it, I would probably go UConn 1, Purdue, and Houston as sort of a 2A, 2B. I'm not sure where you stand in terms of everything, but I just take a look at UConn. They're like Noah's Ark. They have two of everything. I've right now got them as my top team in all of college basketball, and I know you were just talking about them, but in terms of that race for number one team in all of college basketball, I do think that the Huskies, they are currently that number one team going into this holiday week. Yeah, certainly from a performance standpoint, you can't argue that UConn has been the most impressive team in their performances so
3: far. If you're looking at their body of work right now and how they've just blitzed every single opponent, like they've been the best team for sure so far this year. You know, Between them and Purdue, I would give the nod to them as well. I think in a predictive sense, their victories have just been more convincing. Obviously, Purdue has been extremely impressive, but I only have them eighth in the country, which is probably low compared to where most people are sort of seeing them right now. So maybe they're due for a little bit of regression in a negative sense, just because they've been playing so well at the top of their capacity. You know, It'll be interesting to see once they get into Big 12 play. But of those three you mentioned, I think Houston for me is still that number one uh, team for the rest of the season going forward. They're first on my website by a pretty decent margin next to the next couple teams listed there. You know, they were supposed to be a top three team this season. So far, they have delivered. They've had a great win on the road. I think when you just look at the balance of that team, the experience that they have, how hard they are to guard in terms of their style of play, I think they are probably, for me, the biggest lock to be a one-seed come March and be, you know, one of the favorites to win the national championship.
2: No doubt. It's been a tremendous start to the year. And joining me on the podcast, we've got terrific college basketball statistician, Evan Miyakawa and Evan I know something that you do an absolutely tremendous job of with your site is taking a look at the most indispensable players, the most valuable players to their respective teams in all of college basketball. I know that you do a great job of looking beyond the box score, as we know in the NBA plus minus is very prevalent. I know that that's something that you do a little bit with, but I know that you do a great job of diving further because... We always like to talk about these guys that they're putting up like 20 plus points or everything like that. But there's quite a few guys that they might not be giving you a double double. They might not be giving you 10 plus rebounds, 10 assists, anything like that that are really making a big impact on their teams. Who are a few guys that come to mind for you that you've taken a look at them this year? They're maybe not completely of the stat sheet, but they have had a massive impact on their respective teams.
3: Yeah, one of the, um, the best things that I love about Bayesian performance rating, which is my player impact metric, that looks at all aspects of a player's performance to see... You know, which players are having the biggest impact on their team's performance, whether they are the one putting up the prolific stats or whether they're more facilitating through stuff that they do that doesn't typically catch the eye or, you know, hit the box sheet. And so there are definitely guys always uh, at the top of the list nationally. That you wouldn't necessarily expect to be there based on their stats, but they're just having a huge impact. Azulus Tubelas right now is number one in the country right ahead of Zach Eady in BPR. Obviously, stats-wise, he has been impressive, but I think he definitely is under the radar compared to some of these other big names. Partly because Arizona has multiple players who are playing really well. Umar Balo has been an incredible revelation for them this year. And Tubelas just personality wise, like doesn't stick out as much, but he's been really impressive, both in terms of his stat line and in terms of how well Arizona is playing when he's on the floor. You see a guy like Andre Jackson for UConn. He's fourth in the country. And when you talk to UConn fans, they love seeing him up there because they know how much he means for that team. When he's on the court, even if he's not the most flashy player, man, he is really making a huge difference when he's there. So you see guys like him, just looking through this list, uh, you know, guys like uh, Matthew Meyer for Illinois, again, like he's not necessarily their biggest name, but, um, you know, On nights when he's shooting the ball well, obviously he's an incredible player, but even on nights when he's not, he still has had a huge impact in terms of just effect on overall performance offensively and defensively for Illinois. So he's a name up there. You see other guys like uh, Joe Toussaint for West Virginia, Anton Watson for Gonzaga, guys like that uh, definitely get some more of the love that they should deserve based on how hard they're playing and just the impact that they're having while they're on the floor.
2: And I think the biggest follow-up question for me is, how do you gauge this? Because I just spoke about it a second ago. I'm sure that plus minus has a little bit to play with it, but I know in terms of defensive efficiency numbers, offensive efficiency numbers, obviously you take the hole that's out there on the court. I know that you do a good job of looking at specific combinations as well that really do a nice job of being able to deliver good performance for their team. But how are you able to cut through just all the box score paralysis by analysis that we do get, and you're able to spot these guys that they really are having a massive impact on their team, even though the box score at the end of the game, it might not quite show it.
3: Yeah, so plus minus is a starting point for that, right? Because it can tell us when a player is on the floor, how well is their team playing.
2: But there is a
3: lot of noisiness from game to game, even from season to season, in plus minus just because there are so many factors that it doesn't account for, right? It doesn't account for what part of the game you're in. um, If a player was playing against really good opposition or really bad opposition, were they with other good teammates or bad teammates? So it can be a little bit, you know, errorsome in that regard. What I do is I basically have a really souped up version of an adjusted plus minus, which is a type of model that is similar to plus minus and that you're looking at the end of each possession and who's on the court but you adjust for the strength of all other players that are on the floor. In a situation where you have a guy who the coach is always putting in to guard the other team's best player, he is going to get credit for lining up against the other team's best player. Similarly, if you have a guy who's on the floor and he's always playing with other really good players on his own team, you can account for the fact that maybe he's getting some more help because he's you know, playing with the star player on his team, and so you drop his rating accordingly. So there's all of these adjustments that go into my model, not to mention the fact that it also looks at a player's advanced box score metrics to see if we can gain any information from there about which players are having an impact on the game as well as providing a little bit of historical information, especially early in the season to kind of have a starting point for each player, especially, you know, when we're still a month, two months into the season Obviously, we're not just looking at the top of the, you know, points per game leaderboard and saying, these are the best players in the country. There's more information that we, you know, just as viewers, you know, put into our assessments of players. So, you know, you have a guy like Drew Timmy, who this season coming in was number one in the country in predicted impact based on metric. And because of that, you know, he's still hanging around in the top 10. He's obviously been really impressive, but Gonzaga has been maybe slightly below expectations so far this year. But when you combine all of those, you know, aspects together, the box stats, a player's impact on team performance when he's on the floor, adjusting for all other players on the court, as well as that historical information, we can get a pretty good picture of going forward who really is going to have the best impact kind of regardless of what team they're on. So those are sort of a little bit of the formula, if you will, the secret sauce that goes into this
2: metric. I think that's awesome. You do an absolutely great job with it. As Evan Mia. Kelly does great work over there at Mia.com. One of the best college basketball decisions that you're going to find. He is joining me on the podcast, and Evan. Something that i noticed that on your Twitter handle you've been doing a little bit more of this year is taking a look at keys to victories. We always see it with a lot of the broadcast teams. They always say, oh, a key to victory is X, Y, Z, what have you. And you've been doing a lot of those. Like, I know you were tweeting out for things like the Gonzaga versus Alabama game, Gonzaga just being able to keep their turnovers down, things like that. And I just take a look at it a little bit more. And I know that some of the ones that you tweeted out, they're not necessarily really like things are going to be completely diverse. It's things like just being able to hit free throws and cutting down on turnovers. And I think that that's very good that you are doing that because as much as we both absolutely love these advanced statistics, as much as we love to just go as, for lack of a better term, nerdy as humanly possible with the college basketball, I think that a lot of things can be quite basic and taking a look at basketball, whether or not you're making your free throws. Are you having clean possessions, not turning it over? Is it sometimes good to just really go back to basics? And how have you been utilizing this? Because I've been noticing in terms of a lot of your keys to victories when you have been tweeting them out they've been a little bit more basic and i do think that is refreshing and sometimes it's the best way to be able to go about it
3: yeah so this is actually a little bit of a sneak preview of a new tool that i'm hoping to add to my website soon which is this automated keys to victory for teams i've sort of mentioned this here and there without giving too much away but i've had conversations with different coaches who have basically kind of have their own individualized team specific keys to victory where they say you know hey, we have these couple stats that are really important to our team. And, you know, when we hit these marks, we have this record. When we don't hit these marks, you know, we're worse. And those are one of the first things that they look at at the stat sheet after the game. And so what I am ended up doing is with my, you know, really advanced computer model is basically trying for each team to figure out what parts of the game, just the basic team box score are most impactful or most predictive Of them winning games, perhaps more so than the average team. So, for example, you mentioned some of these keys I put out earlier. So, last week, Houston was playing Virginia. And I looked at in the last five years under Kelvin Sampson, what are the key stats for Houston? And the two that I came up with are committing less than 18 fouls in a game and shooting at least 73% from the line. Now, why did I pick those? Well, when they hit both of those marks, having less than 18 fouls and shooting at least 73% from the line, They are undefeated, twenty-five and zero. When they get at least one of those, they're fifty-six and thirteen. That's eighty-one percent. And when they miss both, they're down to seventy-six percent. Obviously, they've won a lot of games in the last five years. But the main thing is, you know, they don't foul too much, and they're do good from the stripe. They're undefeated, and those two things came true for them. They won that game against Virginia. I just think that kind of thing is really interesting, especially from a viewer perspective. If you're watching your team and you have these stats in mind, it's really fun to kind of track and see, hey, is this team on track for being successful in this game based on, you know, specifically for this team, what matters? It's very fun to watch.
2: It is incredibly fun to watch. And what is always incredibly fun is taking a look at your website, Evan. You're a wealth of college basketball knowledge. You do a great job taking a look at the advanced statistics. You're always adding new ways to be able to look at college basketball every single year. You just do absolutely amazing work in helping decipher these teams just a little bit more. So Evan, let the good people at home know what you're all working on, what's all on tap for you, and how people are able to to follow your work on social media and other platforms
3: yeah you can keep an eye on my twitter profile at evan mia just to kind of see what ends up coming down the road here i'm cooking some things up always i'm always trying to put out interesting research on twitter as well as obviously keeping my website up to date. So you can kind of find me at all those usual places.
2: And Evan does an absolutely tremendous job taking a look at all things college basketball. A big thanks to him for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops. So i part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We don't have any games for Saturday, so we're just going to end it right here. And as per usual, if you ever have a question, comment, segment idea, what I have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to go for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at gnrs 41 Keep in mind, letter ZM. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other way, that is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. A big thanks to Evan once again. I just hope that you're all enjoying your Christmas Eve. I did a chat with Tristan Freeman that you're going to be hearing on the podcast tomorrow. I will have you guys know right now that I pre-recorded that. I don't want anyone to have to work on Christmas Eve or Christmas And Also on tap, I'm going to be sharing with with you the story of how I got into sports betting and how I got to where I am right now so be on the lookout for that everyone enjoy your holiday weekend enjoy your Christmas Eve Christmas Day if you celebrate something else please do enjoy that as well it is a holiday season for so many of us so please do enjoy it with friends family and loved ones and I'll be with you guys every single day of this college basketball season which means I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow thank you so much for tuning in